Welcome to the Preach and Persuade podcast. My name is Sam Parada. I'm here with Dan Rudiman. Continuing our series discussion on revival, looking at revival in history. We did an episode on the First Great Awakening. We did an episode on the Second Great Awakening. Now, this is kind of uh, uh, a sub-episode under the Second Great Awakening, where we're going to really dive deeper into this interesting dynamic between these two prominent men during the Second Great Awakening, two prominent figures, Charles Finney and Asahel Nettleton. And why we're emphasizing and doing an episode on these two men uh, is because their methodology and their theology varied so drastically. And the results were varied a little bit and the longevity of the results varied. And when we, we mean like longevity of results, we're saying, okay, longevity of, of converts. Like, okay, these, these two men had, had, you know, thousands of converts, Finney way more than Nettleton, but thousands of converts during the second great awakening in their ministry. And, and it looks like historically speaking, Nettleton's converts were more legit. You could say they were more legit, meaning legitimate converts actually saved and maybe Finney's were just this vaporous you know emotional experience that these people had and it wasn't actually real conversion so we want to get into why that might be the case and and how these two men approached the ministry of evangelism the ministry of preaching and and all that type of stuff and what we would call revivalism so in the second great awakening you get this distinction we've been talking about revival when God shows up and does a work uh, a sovereign work in his people. You can't you can't uh, manufacture it. You can't amp it up. God shows up. You can maybe stack up the firewood through prayer and 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 preaching of the Bible and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, we've been saying that revival is a sovereign work of God. Now, in the Second Great Awakening with Finney, you get this you get this uh, shift to what we would call revivalism, where you can crank it up. You can manufacture it. Finney asserts that revival is something that you can do. You can bring about a revival by your own work and power and preaching. So that just is a very interesting thing. Nettleton would have been more in the historical sense. No, this is a sovereign work of God. God is the one who saves, da-da-da-da-da, and we need sound doctrine. So we're going to compare and contrast these two men. Now I said in the in the previous episode I gave a little bit of a of a background on Finney. Uh, I said that again he was he was a lawyer he was a trained lawyer serving as a lawyer in a law firm uh, was born in 1792 you know trained as a lawyer working in a law firm and then apparently I said apparently he was converted and then he became a preacher and he really did become the most famous preacher uh, in America during that time think of 1820s 1830s that was really the heyday of his ministry as well as Nettleton's. And he was indeed the most famous preacher during that time. I gave a little bit of a story of his of his ordination. Again, he, part of the ordination process, he had to preach an extemporaneous sermon, and he just refused to even preach it from the pulpit. That's how much he tended to reject this kind of historic uh, uh, way of doing church and ministry and stuff like that. And he decided to preach that extemporaneous sermon from the aisle instead. You know, he was supposed to, during his ordination process, sign the Westminster Confession. He disagreed with many of the points of the Westminster Confession. Uh, he considered the doctrines of total depravity, imputation of Adam's sin, the need for divine satisfaction in the atonement of Christ, and the efficacious work of the Holy Spirit in regenerating sinners contrary to reason. All those—think uh, about that. Think about—I'm going to read that again. 
these, these doctrines, total depravity, imputation of Adam's sin, the need for divine satisfaction in the atonement of Christ, and the efficacious work of the Holy Spirit in regenerating sinners, he thought that those doctrines were contrary to reason. I mean, that, that speaks pretty loudly. Uh, he was adamant, absolutely adamant, that man had the ability to come to Christ by his own volition and power. He was also often considered harsh or, or crude or abusive. One of his famous tactics, we'll get to the anxious seat here in just a second, but another one of his famous tactics is he would, while he was preaching you know, to people during these revival meetings, he would call people out by name that were in the crowds and actually list and, and expose their sin in front of everybody. Say there's thousands of people that are uh, people at a revival. He would, if he had the information, uh, call somebody out by name in front of everybody, totally embarrass them, and 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 tell everybody the sins that this this, this person was committing. And so, it, you you could say that you could maybe put that in the category of, of spiritual abuse, spiritual manipulation. Uh, he would publicly embarrass people, and that was actually part of his tactic to get people to repent, apparently, and, and, and convert. So that was all going on with him. And uh, Basically, what he's known for, though, is what he would call the new measures, and there was really a controversy, the new measures controversy. And, and this is what Finney said about the new measures. He said, quote, I found that something was needed to make an impression on them, that they were expected at once to give up their hearts something that would call them to act and to act publicly before the world as they had in their sins, something that would commit them publicly to the service of Christ. So that's what Finney wanted. He was thinking about, okay, what, what tactics, what, what can I do? Uh, how can I get people to respond to the gospel, to my preaching, uh, and you know, apparently in conversion? How can I get them to respond? I need to figure out ways to do that. And so part of these new measures were the anxious seat. Well, let's let's get people to cross the line and go sit on this bench up front uh, as a as a kind of a way to to put on display uh, conversion or decision things like that. So all this was kind of going on in what would be called the new measures, and it you know obviously went against a more historical view of of, of conversion and how people are saved. So again, Finney he he argued, quote, I insist that our reason was given us for the very purpose of enabling us to justify the ways of God, and that no such fiction of imputation could be could by any possibility be true. So this this sounds, theologically speaking, this sounds very Pelagian. Finney went beyond just an Arminian type of theology where man has free will to 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 uh, you know put his faith in Christ. But even Arminian theology should believe in a type of imputation of, of, of Christ's righteousness to you. You're, you're a sinner. You're guilty before God. And you need to repent and believe. Yes, you have the, you have the volition or the power or the will to do that, but nonetheless... According you, to Arminianism. Yeah, according to Arminianism. But you need to still do that in order to get imputed the righteousness of Christ. That's, that's Arminian view. Finney went beyond that to almost, a, like you could say, Pelagian, where, no... You don't even need imputation. You just you can you have everything in you just to get your act together. You just need to get you need to just get your act together. So it wasn't even this the reality of you're a, you're totally depraved and, and a sinner and you need righteousness. He went beyond that. So no, you don't. You just you have the power clean up your life, and somehow some way that was called coming to Christ. In his memoirs, Finney states that his two personal goals 
related to two battles. First, he wanted to defeat sinners by his campaign for Christ. So I guess, I mean, that's on the front end, front end of it, that sounds good, defeat sinners in his campaign for Christ. But obviously in his mind, that was, you know, people have in themselves total ability to do that. They don't need a divine work of the Holy Spirit to do that. But two, his second purpose and goal in, in his ministry was to destroy Calvinism. <laughs> like literally, destroy Calvinism. So he's a, he's a very interesting figure. If anybody knows me, and you, I mean, if you listen to this podcast enough, you know that I am a Calvinist and that if somebody says that their goal in life is to destroy Calvinism, I'm probably not going to like them. So I have some thoughts about Finney. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Finney also said that there is nothing in religion beyond the ordinary powers of nature. It consists entirely in the right exercise of the powers of nature. It is just that and nothing else. When mankind becomes religious, they are not enabled to put exertions which they were unable before to put forth. They only exert powers which they had before in a different way and use them for the glory of God. So, again, no need for divine power, no need for you know true spirit rot regeneration, uh, just you have it all in yourself to do this work. Finney wrote, Let us look over the fields where you and others and myself have labored as revival ministers and what is now their moral state. What was their state within three months after we left them? I have visited and revisited many of these fields and grown in spirit to see the sad, frigid, carnal, contentious state into which the churches had fallen and fallen very soon after our first departure from among them. That's interesting. So that gets back to what Dan was saying in the previous episode, this idea of, okay, you have Finney who had 250,000 apparent converts and you had Nettleton who had 25,000 apparent converts. And we have this question, did, were Finney's converts legitimate? And I just brought that up in the intro of this this episode. But here Finney himself is saying that he would leave a place and he would go back and it just looked decrepit and old and like nothing actually happened. He's even making that claim. Uh Joseph P. Ives, a Presbyterian minister, wrote in 1838, During ten years, hundreds and perhaps thousands were annually reported to be converted on all hands, but now it is admitted that his, Finney's, real converts are comparatively, excuse me, comparatively, man, that's a hard word for me, few. It is declared even by himself that, quote, the great body of them are a disgrace to religion. <laughs> yeah, he'd come back through years later, and they just, they couldn't, they couldn't account for these people. Yeah, just unbelievable. So yeah. even he himself was starting to admit and did admit that yeah. his fruit really didn't last. I mean, yeah, what do yeah. you do with that? Yeah, yeah. And so there's a methodology there that he developed that came out of his thinking theologically. And of course, because of his theological persuasions, then the question comes, did he really understand salvation? That's where that comes from. Right, exactly. People aren't, I mean, I don't think people are questioning some like immoral move or something. I mean, in the sense of, yeah, some lifestyle, you know, he had five wives or anything like that. It's it's like, no, just uh, the more you hear him talk about his views, theological views, the more you wondered, well, gosh, these don't even seem to align with, you know, biblical soteriology. Yeah, yeah. You know, so. Yeah, Finney said that a revival is not a miracle. It is a result of the right use of their appropriate means. There it is. Yep. See. And so he really believed that. It's a great, and again, it's really influenced our day today. There are still, you know... Uh, Maybe not as recently. I'm wondering if people are still doing this in certain segments of um, 
evangelical Christianity in the United States, but at least, you know, at my age, when I began in Christian ministry 35 years ago, it was even starting the tail end there, but you still had churches that would have week-long revival kind of meetings. You know, we need people would put up tents, we're going to have a revival, you know. He would say, we're going to have a revival. I think we talked about that before. And so that's, that's where that all comes from. Right. And if we do the right things, we will create this. Yep. So... So yeah, that's an overview of Finney. Yeah, interesting. What what about Nettleton? Okay, so Nettleton, yeah, just you know, facts about Nettleton. Uh, born in 1783, so uh, you know the end, just the end of the First Great Awakening. Lived to 1844. He was 61 years of age. Um, looks like uh, he was converted, and he began right away. Uh, about 1812 or so is when he began preaching right away, hmm. um, and uh, called to ministry. And he was. Um, you could call him a revivalist evangelist going into churches and preaching, but he just, he had a very different view because he was very reformed, Calvinistic reform. Yeah, yeah. He had a different view of salvation. Um, in fact, I was trying to find some key quotes here just to say, so here, here would be one. The conversion and salvation of sinners is owing entirely to the sovereign mercy of God. It's not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, because sinners always will, will wrongly, or will wrong, meaning they do they have the wrong will, and they always run wrong. Yeah, and so he just believed in this high view of this is a sovereign work of God by which God opens eyes through the means of preaching the gospel. Mm. And so um, the way he approached this, okay, so he there were a lot of so years later, thirty years later, they went back and did some studies, um, and one of his key biographers. Uh, Hang on here. I'm going to get it. I always, uh, because it's called The Life and Labors of Asahel Nettleton. So the author is Dr. Bennett Tyler. And then I believe it was edited by um, Andrew Bonner, who was also uh, the biography of McShane's biography. So you can read this 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 book about his work. And uh, they went back and looked at his work 30, 40 years later after he had uh was off the scene, the revival mm-hmm. was done, and they believe they're really, uh, I've seen different numbers, say twenty to 25,000 converts, and like 90, 95% were still in churches. That's why you could count them. Yeah. They could literally go back and find these people that, oh yeah, I came to faith through Nettleton. Oh yeah, I came to faith through Nettleton. Oh, I came through faith. And, and they were able to like see that. Yeah. In contrast to Finney, where he literally would go through areas and go, this is the most irreligious place. Finney I've ever, yeah, I've never seen it. And he yeah. was the one that was just there a year yeah, ago. Right. And, and so it's very interesting. So, 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 say eighteen twelve, um, uh, you know, through the mid eighteen uh, twenties is yeah. when Nettleton was at his peak preaching right. these sort of things, and then they, uh, so he opposed Finney, theological grounds. Now, practice. This is the thing that's always intrigued me. So, Nettleton's issue, the way he practiced ministry, and it would be another whole discussion in a podcast, but I'm always fascinated by this, is that you begin to realize that the way people think about ministry how they think about ministry, the prag- practical aspects of ministry often really do hinge off how people think about theology. Yeah. And I found that in my lifetime, just, you know, in ministry and life, I'm like, oh. And, and we say orthodoxy leads to orthopraxy. Yeah, so that's what you said. Correct doctrine colleagues. leads to correct it practice. It should, 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 yep. should. So, so just a couple key things. And, you know, again, historians, Tom Nettles, Dr. Tom Nettles did, has run a wonderful um, brief History on some of this, and it's actually in the introduction to um, the collected uh, sermons, uh, Nettleton sermons. Yeah, and yeah. I just love the introduction. But 
just highlighting a few things. So you think about his practice. Because he, he believed this was a work of God, he yeah. believed in revival being a work of God. It was right. actually a sovereign work of God that God did. There was not, nothing to crank up. Right. Per se. So his services were very different than Finney's. Not a lot of cranked up music, not mm. a lot of uh, uh, fervor and energy, and you need to come forward. It was very solemn, very straight, very doctrinal preaching. Yep. And he was trusting in the preaching of these doctrines yep. that God would then attend and convert people. Mm. So there was a real reality the way he practiced like that. Further then, because of this, he really believed, this is interesting now, okay? We, I read a quote last in, the, in my last um, podcast. Let me read it again now if you're just catching this. Um, it, was, it was something Nancy Percy wrote about um, uh, Edwards, about Jonathan Edwards. Let me read this again. Um, okay, she's talking about this new Christianity in the, in the Second Great Awakening, that was a felt thing. In other words, the people wanted to have a real experience with God, not just some head knowledge. Yeah, and pros and cons to that. But um, she she writes, it did not mean evangelicals were outright intellectual, not in the early stages at least. What they opposed was merely intellectual knowledge about God or of God. Yeah. So because you just have doctrine doesn't mean you hadn't been regenerated, which I think is very true. But many succeeded in maintaining a balance between piety and rationalism. Jonathan Edwards being one of the most outstanding examples. Yeah. And we, we touched on that in the last podcast, yep. so I don't need to labor it here, other than, yes, a piety, a real experiential Christianity that then even experientially affects the way you live, the way you spend time with the Lord, prayer, a, a devoted, uh, you could use the word existential, very real experiential life. Yeah. In Christ. At the same time, it does, it's not void of actual doctrinal good thinking. Right. The two come together. And that's what I'm always, I'm Amen. always like, no, the two have to Amen. come together. I want the two to come together. So Nettleton seemed to be a guy that that was what it was about. And it, then it affected the way he did ministry. So just some examples. So I already mentioned the one, the way he would do a service. Okay. Another thing he would do, would he really believed in the established pastorate. So when they would preach the gospel, he would come in and maybe do a, a, a number of weeks, be there preaching various types of services, even for kids and different things. It wasn't come forward and receive Christ today and make a decision. That's not what they did. They just preached the gospel, called people to turn from their sin and trust Christ. But then what he would do is he would spend the week when he was there. He was he he didn't have a family. He was a bachelor, um, right? He would, which I say that because in those days, I mean, he just had a lot of time. You know, being a single guy. I mean, God really used his singleness. Mm-hmm. Um, he then could go with the pastor, and then throughout the week they would visit with the people. Day after day, they mm-hmm. would go out and have appointments with people, just live in the community with people, talk to these people who are hearing these things. And through that then, hmm. they would see these conversions. You see how that worked? It's right. very fascinating. And it stuck. It like they were like real deal. That's what's so fascinating. And so that was one of the things he did. And he wanted, he so wanted the ministry to be remain with the established pastorate, which is very again. You got to think Finney. There's other quotes you didn't quote about Finney, but you know, part of this American ethos that yeah. we're talking about was this anti-authoritarian, yeah. anti-ecclesiastical, anti-big government yeah, kind whatever. of idea. Yep. Okay. And so Finney rode that horse Wave. too. Yeah. You know, like, oh yeah, we don't need those intellectual theologians, those pastors, pastors, theologically trained. Come, come to our tent. We'll tell you how to get saved. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, that's a lot. 
That was, that was there. So another one was like, no, 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 no. You need this pastor. You need theology. Yeah. You need, I keep you need using doctrine. the word catechism. You need your Bible. You need doctrine. You need this. At the same time, you need to have an encounter with God. Yeah. See, I love it. More in the Ed- Edward, Edward so, screen. So with that, he, he wanted the established pastorate. He would go out during the week and do lots of visitation. And at any time, it was interesting. Uh, uh, Tom Nettles brings this out. Um, apparently, like, if somehow he began to get some kind of a celebrity status like the other revivalists, like a Finney. Yeah. Um, it was known that he would like, they would get up one morning. Every, he was the, gone. The town, he was gone. He packed <laughs> up his bags and left because he wanted so much to make sure that this thing is, was established with the local pastorate, which I'll just say, Sam, you know, Sam and I are both part of an ministry, uh, Ambassadors for Christ International USA. And um, if you uh, go to our website, there's some new things going to be coming on our website, but there's some... Uh, um, interviews with us in the ministry. And I love Wallace Francis there, you know, our former director. Yeah. I, I'm the national director now, but Wallace yeah. was our director for many years. And he says it like, like it's not just the idea of coming alongside the churches. He says it's coming within the church. We, we, we really have this vision that we believe in the local church. Yeah. It's one of the attractions to me with the AFCI, because I think this is similar to Nettleton. Like, you know, we want to be the special forces as another guy of ours said, and yeah. come in and help in a sister church. But, we're not there to overtake the, no, the authority of a local right. pastor at all. Right. That is his deal. And so even right down to sometimes like I don't, I, a lot of us are very careful how we close a sermon or close a service. Like, like yeah. hand it back to the pastor. Yeah. You know, if, if that church is more about calling people to respond in a certain way, let the pastor handle that. Yeah. And so Nettleton was like this. Yeah. That's me. I really was fascinated when I studied him. It was like, yeah. And so... um he he and um, some of the guys opposed. I think it was Lyman Beecher that he and uh, Lyman Beecher opposed Finney. They actually had some meetings where they opposed the new measures and said, "We think you're wrong." Yep. Uh, it created a lot of conflict and division. Yep. In, so that was 1825, 1826. When they, that, they met twice. Yeah. They, yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. And they had their they had their famous meeting in July on 27. July eighteenth, eighteen twenty six. Twenty six was okay. Twenty six. New yeah. Lebanon, New York. Okay. Right there it was. Or New, new Lebanon. Excuse me. Yeah, they called it New Lebanon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, interesting. It's just um, so that he was opposing these measures, and, and so you have to understand that that again, it wasn't just the practice. In fact, I've read some there too that somehow some people thought it was the practices they were having a conflict with. But and maybe that was part of the discussion. But it wasn't just the practice. The practice came from a theology. A theology. This is what Nettleton says about it uh, after some of their meetings, talking about the new measures. And I think yeah. he's, I think he's being pretty gracious here too, by the way. Oh, yeah, probably. But, but this is what he says. We do not call into question the genuineness of these revivals or the purity of the motives of those who have been most active in them, but the evils to which I allude are felt by the churches abroad. Members which have gone out to catch the spirit and have returned, some grieved, others soured, and denouncing the ministers, colleges, theological seminaries, and have set whole churches by the ears and kept them in turmoil for months together. Some students of divinity have done more mischief in this way than they can ever than than they can ever repair. He goes on to say, the evil is running in all directions. A number of churches have experienced a revival of anger, wrath, malice, envy, and evil speaking without the knowledge of a single conversion, merely in consequence of a desperate attempt to introduce these measures. Those ministers and Christians who have heretofore been most and longest acquainted with revivals are most alarmed at the spirit which has grown out of the revivals of the West. The friends of Brother Finney are certainly doing him and the cause of Christ great mischief. They seem more anxious to convert ministers and Christians to the 
peculiarities than to convert souls to Christ. So, again, Nettleton, I think he's being gracious with saying, you know, we're not questioning the purity of their motives uh, or the genuineness of the revivals, but... I mean, I think I think you could question their their the purity of their motives, nonetheless. But he sees like, well, look at the fruit of these things. Right. These people are just they're going back from these revivals, and they are just like all out assaulting Christian universities, Christ, you know, local churches, you know, uh, ministers, pastors, all these people who are more in the grain of you know what the, the old way. Let's just say the historic confessional, yeah, historical churches, confessional yeah. way, the, the, the theological yeah, way. Right. Yep, yep, yep. Presbyterians, Congregationalists, right? So I mean, man. So it's just a fascinating discussion, and you, and you and I think the thing that's always intrigued me was again back in my earlier days trying to think through what's what's this work I'm supposed to do, and I, I just praise the Lord that in His providence and His goodness He allowed me to stumble into this discussion. Because I began to go, yeah, like Nettleton was on it, man. Like I'm so impressed with what he did. And what you realize, though, is that the main, at least what I was exposed to, and I think for a lot of people, I think it's true, because I talked to people, plenty of people, um, many of us were exposed to the Finney idea. Yeah. You know, when you think of Billy Graham and all these he, things. He picked it up. And it became this big way of doing evangelism, you know, the big yep. stadium, calling people forward, all that sort of thing. And so just, again, this podcast is simply to say, uh, or what we're trying to convey is that there really was, uh, that's not always how it was thought about. And a guy like Nettleton saw this tremendous fruit in the Second Great Awakening, which again, we're making the case was there was something real there, real of God there. But again, it picked up uh, it picked up a lot of nuances, a lot of muddy water, and Finney was a key player in it. And a lot of people think it even got worse with those that followed the path of Finney. Mm. You know what I mean? It was what... It was bad enough with him, but then it even got worse with those, you know, again, Finneyites or whatever you want to call it, evangelists that took off after Finney. And so, you know, even to this day, you have to, this is, we, we talked about this with some of the recent stuff. We've tried to be cautious in critiquing what we don't know. We don't know everything about Asbury and all this sort right. of stuff, but, but this idea of kind of the mode of, you know, what's going on and people wanting to do stadiums and these sorts of things, that comes out of the Second Great Awakening and Finney and this sort of thing. Yeah. And Nettleton was small, small. In fact, well, that's the other one. Another thing I should add: um, he didn't do big stadium stuff or whatever you want to call that. You know, a big theater hall or something. This is his. A lot of these conversions. This was, you know, the church of a hundred, and he yep. he'd leave six weeks later, and it was one hundred and eleven now. Yeah, <laughs> and then you go down to the next place. Yeah, yeah. And Stay low key, under the radar. Very. Yep. Very. I, it's again, it's impressive. To Probably me. not this big marketing campaign, which yeah. was. Very you know, that's an interesting thing from the first Great Awakening. George Whitfield and, and those guys, they did do a lot of marketing. I mean, yeah, they yeah. might promote oh, they it. They're they, very theatrical. Yeah, I'm not they, saying it's wrong, but right. it's what they, they were. They were. So Finney kind of adopted that, kept that yeah. kind of, yeah. let's market, yeah. let's promote, yep. Yep. let's put on the big show. Yep. Uh, but he obviously combined it with a really, really dangerous uh, theology that's just really unbiblical. Right. Um, this is a, I'm going to read a quote from... from John Armstrong, <clears throat> excuse me, John Armstrong in his book, True Revival. So this is talking about Another that. good book to read. Yeah, yeah. And I've been quoting from it a lot. So just keep that in mind. Uh, you should probably just buy it and read it if you're more interested in learning about this revival stuff. 
But he's talking about the meeting in New Lebanon, uh, July 18th, 18, 1826, when I said this was the kind of the big... He said 26. See, I've read 27. That's interesting. Oh, that is weird. That's okay. That's... Anyway. Ahead, roll with it. <laughs> Doesn't matter. Historians. Who knows? Anyway, he says, on July 18th, 1826, a, a historic meeting was held between Finney and several of his friends, and Nettleton with several of his supporters. This meeting, held in New Lebanon, New York, became the turning point in the Second Great Awakening in America. For all intents and purposes, revival work would never look the same again. This, we might say, was the place where the, quote, old way finally lost in the, quote, new way of revivalism as popularized through Finney's success triumphed. Before this meeting, Finney printed a sermon titled, How Can Two Walk Together Unless They Be Agreed? In it, he had said that opponents of his new measures disagreed with him because of, quote, their frosty hearts, end quote. Finney further stated, quote, Now while their hearts remain wrong, they will, of course, cavil. In the near right, anything is, the more spiritual and holy, so much the more it must displease them while their affections grovel. This sermon, printed in Philadelphia in March of 1826, drew considerable attention. Nettleton wrote to a well-known Presbyterian pastor in New York, Gardner Spring, saying that Finney showed some serious misunderstanding of the most basic elements of true religion. Nettleton suggested that Finney exalted false zeal, pride, and self-righteousness in opposition to meekness and humility. When Nettleton went into New York, he found what he described to be, quote, a civil war in Zion, a domestic broil in the household of faith. Nettleton's letter to Gardner Spring was published in the New York Observer. Thus, many people knew the concerns of these two ministerial protagonists even before they ever met in New Lebanon in July. Nettleton's letter stated the exact concerns he planned to express at New Lebanon. He said that for Finney to dismiss all evaluation as, quote, unchristian was a serious mistake. Quote, without great care and close examination, the preacher will unwittingly justify all the quarrels and divisions in our churches, end quote. He noted that the Apostle Paul would not even allow men to be teachers unless they were, quote, of full age, who by reason uh, of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil, end quote. The Apostle also would never allow a young convert to teach and lead, quote, lest he fall into condemnation, reproach, in the snare of the devil, end quote. Nettleton concluded this letter by sharing about the dangers of spiritual pride, quoting from the works of Jonathan Edwards on revival. The conference in New Lebanon ended without any kind of agreements. Both sides departed more divided than ever. Finney felt vindicated when, in the months following, large churches in the East invited him to speak in their pulpits. He was allowed to continue pursuing his long-held goal to, quote, reform the Presbyterian Church, end quote, by attacking even more openly the cherished Westminster, Westminster Confession of Faith. Yeah, interesting. See, so like when you just said when uh, Finney wrote that letter and he used the word cavil, which we're not used to using very much, that, that, mean, that means um, trivial or uh, frivolous. Mm. So... Finney sees what Nettleton's talking about as trivial and f- frivolous. Like, what? why are you even bringing this up? It's silly. Oh, uh, yeah. And see, I, I find that fascinating, Sam, because you you run into this. Um, this this recent, uh, this whole podcast, this series, yep. began with this discussion of what's going on in Asbury. Yeah. And if you, not not everybody, but for some reason, if you were to bring in a theological critique and say, hey, I'm concerned about X, Y, Z. Yep. 
this is the same thing that yeah. happened there. <laughs> well, you're being frosty, as he yeah, said, yeah. which means you're being you're cold, you're being hearts. frozen, you're not really warm to the spirit, yeah. you're not open to God, um, you're being frivolous. Yep. Uh, you're not, you know, and it's like, well, not really. What's going on here is you have a trained theolo- uh, a trained leader, a trained preacher, yeah, Nettleton, Nettleton, who has a doctrinal position, correct, deeply, not on a uh, uh, um, secondary issue, right. These are primary issues. Right. What is salvation? What is salvation? What is salvation? Authority, scripture, salvation. Yeah. You know, what is sin? What is sin? What's a man's response? Total depravity of man. A lot of these key things. Those are deeply... Those are gospel doctrines. Yeah, they're big. And so what you find in this populist um, evangelicalism, again, let's just just start with Finney. There's obviously a lot more to history, but let's just say it started with Finney. There's this idea that says, well, you guys are just trying to quench the Spirit, or... You guys just aren't open to all the things of God. Or the, I've been in these settings. And it's like, no, 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 no. I, I'm just trying to be biblical, and I have a real concern for this doctrine, which makes me question this practice. Yeah. And you see how F- Finney wrote that off. Yeah. As you're, you're just, you're just being, um, what's the word? Frozen, chosen. You're just being, uh, you know, making a big deal out of something that's not a big deal. And, and it's like, no, Nelson's going, no, this is a big deal. It's a huge deal. It's a big deal. Really big. You got to get this right. Yeah. Because if you don't get this right. What happens down the road? Right, you're, you could say your disciples down the road methodology, and see, and this is what's predictable. It's very interesting. Oh, I, yeah. just, I just find this interesting because that's and you can trace a lot of wonky movements later on, later on in the nineteenth yes. century into the twentieth century that are connected to Finney, and it's very interesting too. Sometimes those movements start; they look a lot closer to orthodoxy. They look like they're like they're starting off good. Mm. They really do. They. But then they begin to wane, and yeah. they begin to, all of a sudden they move into say a liberal position yeah. or or even a more cultic position. Right. It was very predictable because of the, the, what they theologically believed when they began. Right, and a lot of people don't want to go down this route. And again, think of this: what we've been talking about with the other the previous podcast and this one, there was this populist evangelicalism that probably maybe even many of your listeners that's all they've ever known. Mm. And so it's easy to begin to, I use the word parrot, say what, these sorts what, of statements. What do you mean, again, what do you mean by populist? Okay, populist basically means you're not confessional. You're not necessarily relying on the historic doctrines of the Christian faith, the historic even ecclesiast, um, ecclesiology of the Christian faith sure. that said, no, 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 you have these men who are trained and equipped yep. to teach doctrine. I use the word catechesis, but catechesis yep. meaning teaching people doctrine. There's these structures that are real. Right. Uh, you could say high church. And, and the concern with what we begin to call populism in the Second Great Awakening was often in those systems, this could be true, you could be so bound up with your system and your doctrine, and I brought this up in one of the prior prod, uh, podcasts, was even when Jesus said to the Pharisees, you diligently study scriptures because by them you think you possess eternal life, but the scriptures point to me and you refuse to come to me to yeah. have life. So you could be so bound up saying, well, I got my test, I can pass my test, I know yeah. all my doctrine. Okay, but you don't know Christ. Right. Well, that, that that's real. That can happen. Right. So this was like a, a go to the other ditch. The other ditch. And again, it came out of the American Revolution we talked about yep. in the previous one, that a man is an individual. You can... Chart your own course. You're not born into a system. You can chart your own course. You have this new freedom, this new right. revolution right. in all areas of your life. 
you and don't so need to conform. If you got to this your Bible and your personal decision for Jesus, you're good to go. Yeah. Yeah. And we're saying, well, no, there is something about a man in his Bible. That's true. And there's something true about that is true an experience with God where a person's converted. But that doesn't mean you abandon a confessional Christianity, if you want to say it that way, yeah. or, or a creedal confession, yeah. or, or or doctrines that have or, been set or, forth, or yeah, a systematic a theology, a hierarchical structure, yeah, or a, even structure. authority, even yeah, authority yeah, exactly. in the church, right? Like like no, you just don't go do your own thing. Yeah, we're not saying that, right? And so so what we're using this term, and I don't know where it all came from. Nancy Piercy uses the term, and I don't know if she came up with it, but there was like this, what she what she termed populist. Yeah. Christianity. So I think of it as populist evangelicalism. Yeah. And, and and again, not trying to be pejorative, meaning harsh to anybody, but like it lacks a depth. It's yeah. kind of like, let's sing some cool jo- songs about Jesus. We might hear a sermon. I'm not saying it's unbiblical, yeah, but right. it's not real heavy duty. It's, it's kind of shallow. shallow. Uh, we're really excited about Jesus and we telling feel the him emotions. to the world. There's some good stuff there. I'm not saying there's not, but then there's not a rootedness in there's it. No, yeah, there's no depth. And when stuff comes... Stuff falls apart. Yep. Well, tossed to and fro by every wind. So, that's what, so what happens kind of. in that is if that's all you've ever known, and let's say you have had a real encounter with Jesus, let's just say it's really real. Let's say it's been a very experiential and emotional in your life. Yeah, I'm not even saying that could be bad, but if that's all you have, then the minute somebody—not the minute, but often—when somebody comes in, like an Edelton or somebody says, "No, no, no, you need doctrine." Yeah. Well, what do I need that for? I got Jesus I've, I've, in my I've Bible. Had, I'm good I've had to go. That said to my face before. Yeah, I'm, I, you're just you're just bogging this thing down. You're just being critical. Right. You're just it, well. That's what happened in some of these these discussions that happened in regard to just our recent experience. That's all I'm saying. I find it fascinating yeah. with Asbury. Yeah, is because this thing happened at Asbury, and and we're not saying God didn't show up. But we right. have questions whether God showed up because it didn't have this depth, right? This doctrinal depth, the preaching depth, the historic depth, where revival and awakenings really seem right. to be the real deal, right? It didn't have much of that, and and there wasn't a lot of repentance of the current the current uh, zeitgeist. I, I don't want to review all that now. Go back and right. you'll see, hear us talk about that. Um, so is it real or not? So some of us are going, gosh, through a biblical doctrinal grid with what we see in church history there's some questions exactly that doesn't mean i'm i'm frozen it doesn't mean i don't want to see the work of god it doesn't doesn't mean any of that i want to see the real thing and here's the other thing i would say that i was going to say earlier even in the midst of it see god is so big this is the thing that's so crazy god is so big it doesn't make an excuse for us being sloppy by any means but i'm sure there were people actually converted under charles finney i'm sure they actually were regenerated. God used it. Remember yeah. in Philippians where these people were preaching to try to create a problem for Paul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he says, well, at least the gospel's going out. Right. right. Right? And it's like, yeah, there's a place for that. But as an individual man, I have a, a conscience and a responsibility before God yeah. to know that God is there. He actually spoke. He actually gave me doctrine. And I have to hold to that. I can't just... I can't just let that go. Well, and this is why, just to make it practical for people, why doctrine is so important, you ask, okay, yeah, I came to Jesus. I, I, I received Jesus. I accepted Jesus. And you go, who is Jesus? Yep. Your response is a doctrinal response. Yeah. Whatever you say about about Jesus, that's doctrine. People say I don't want to be be doctrinal or theological, but you are. You have to be. You, you can't be. escape it. You're doctrinal no matter what. You believe something. Yeah, yeah. Well, who do you believe about? What do you believe about Jesus? Is he the Son of God? Is he the God Man? Is he fully God, fully man? Yeah. Did he? Was he born of a virgin? Like, yeah. 
That's all doctrine. Yeah. Are you a sinner? Yeah. Are you going to hell because you're guilty? That's doctrine. Yeah. It's all doctrine. You yeah. can't escape doctrine. And the Bible ha- ha- says what's true about that, and therefore the yeah. Bible's filled with doctrine. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, we're jumping right to oh, you know man. our contemporary application, but this is why this is so fascinating. Well, think about, well, think about Finney, though. So, think so. about Finney, though. Just think about, like, just think about um, maybe to... Let's learn something from him to watch out. Like, notice what Finney did. One, he was a lawyer. That doesn't matter. But, Not really as Matt Calvin was a lawyer. They right, right. So. That doesn't matter. But the point is, is that when he apparently was converted and, and came into the ministry, he didn't go get any theological education. Right. He just immediately began preaching. Mm-hmm. And then he was supposed to get ordained, but he totally went against and pushed against the, the typical ordination process. Right. And he said, I don't agree with the Westminster Confession. I don't like it. I disagree with their their primary doctrines. And he and he went after it. Yeah. And so think about that. That's the thing. It's like there really is some there's something really significant and important about a guy going, I, I feel a call into ministry and I'm if I'm gonna be a preacher and teacher of the word, I gotta get equipped. I have to be equipped for this. Yeah. And I need to study my Bible. Yeah. I need to spend yeah. time in the language. I need to invest in this. I don't want to be trivial or cavalier about this. Yeah. Like this is a serious, serious, serious call. James says, not many right. of you brothers should be teachers. You're right. held to a higher standard. Right. And Finney just obviously didn't care. Right. He basically screwed the Westminster Confession. Yep. It's basically what he said. I'm going to go do my own thing. Yep. And I'm going to create these new measures because I'm trying to figure out a way to get as many conferences as possible. That's what he did. Right. Good grief. That guy sounds like the... the that, oh, man. <laughs> you make he me is laugh. dangerous. Oh, man. I just do not You make like me Finney. laugh when you say this. Oh. But yeah, but I just, the ramifications are huge. So I think the other side of it that's very, uh, in a contemporary application, as I said earlier, is when I think, and what we you've heard Sam and I in other podcasts, perhaps, if you haven't, you can go back and listen to when we talk about like the work of the evangelist. Yeah. And we talk about evangelism and we talk about parachurch. We've, we've had these conversations yeah. before. And uh, just reiterating that, see, I think what happened because this, well, nothing. I don't think it did happen, is that then there are some that push back against the Finney, mm. rightfully so. Mm. But then they want to throw the baby out with the bathwater yeah. on the on the work of the evangelist. Yep, that's you where see, we find ourselves. Yep, and I'm often going, no, 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 no. I, I. That's why when I qu- try to qualify people, I, I tell people. I always have to say this. Maybe I shouldn't have to, but I feel defensive. I always have to say, biblically, historically, I'm an evangelist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what I mean by that is, like, I'm not uh, a dog and pony show. I'm, I'm not, not a rogue. I'm not. I, that's uh, not it. I don't want to be that. I'm not Batman I'm not, in the streets I'm not, at night. I'm not a Finneyite. I'm not, I'm not that. Right. I actually believe there's this place where God raises up men to come and preach and to encourage the church in theology and evangelism. Yep. And we've talked about that in other places. We don't need to do that here. But my point is, is I think Nettleton is a great model. He's a great model. That's my point. He's, he's you study the guy's ministry, and you're like, oh, man. That's it. Believed in the local church, believed doctrine, also believed in a true sent, heaven-sent revival. Yep. The God's presence could come, would go out in a community during the week and get to know people and spend time with them and nurture them. I mean, you think about this earlier, Sam. When you and I came here, where we're doing the podcast today as a church that let us use their facility. And I was telling you about this friend. It's just really cool to me. His friend's working around the church. He's a deacon. And I've known this guy for 25 years. And mm-hmm. I've watched so much chapters unfold in his life. And here he is today, a deacon in a church, serving mm-hmm. the church, loving God. And, he, you know, he's had a journey. Mm-hmm. You know, and I've been there in the highs and the lows. But mm-hmm. it's been a 25-year journey. Mm-hmm. And it's been wonderful. And it's because I've lived in a community as an evangelist. Yeah. 
and coming in and out of people's lives yep. over a long haul. Yep. I mean, that's part of my vision for the work that God's called me to. I'm not sure everybody's is going to look perfectly like that, but that would be, to me, again, speaking of Nettleton. Yeah. You know, again, his was more concentrated. He might be in a community for a month or two. Right. But he would go out during the week and meet with people with the pastor. Right. Hang out with them. It wasn't this event. It wasn't the event-based thing. Nope. And then he'd say, hey, come Tuesday night. I'm going to be preaching on yep. that thing. Or come Wednesday and night. And you'd hear legitimate, good, doctrinal, probably expository, yep. in a sense, sermons. Yep. That's what, that's From the what Bible. he did. And that's what he did. And, and it just seems like there was some real yep. lasting... So this is, this is an awesome conversation, man. Oh, I love this stuff. I mean, yeah. this is this is awesome. And we should, we should have another... Because I've been doing some more theological... Um, scholarly work on the evangelist. Yeah, presented a paper at ETS uh, on the evangelist, and so it would be fun to kind of. We talked a while ago a little bit about the evangelist in yeah. that in this topic too with Finney and Nettleton. We we breached it a little bit, sure. but that was a couple of years ago, and we probably have even more to say now. So we should in a future episode sure. re-talk about what is the evangelist. Let's do that, and so that'd be fun. So going forward, yeah, podcast maybe uh, a, a, a few more conversations about uh, you know the Welsh revival, yeah. and a few other awakenings like that, just to highlight a few things, and then maybe we'll get a friend to come here that is pretty good historian theologian that knows this stuff. Yeah, that'd be fun. That's what we're gonna try to do. Yeah. So maybe two or three more. Yep. Episodes. Yeah. Sweet. Well, that's a that's a good time to stop. So thanks again for listening to the Preach and Persuade podcast. Uh. Yeah, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever you listen to. Subscribe to the, our, our podcast. Uh, you know, write write a review if you want. If you enjoy it, that'd be great. Uh, but you can learn more about our ministry at afci.us and watch out in the next uh, few weeks, month, or whatever for um, the drop of our, our new website. And I'm sure when that does drop, we'll certainly say it in whatever podcast is you know in and around that time. So, again, thanks for listening, and have a great day. Bye.